Christchurch, New Malden, Sunday the 12th of June 2022, 11 o'clock service. Katie Loffman speaking in the series, The Fruit of the Spirit, Faithfulness. As Tim said, we're coming to the, the next bit of our, our aspect of the fruit of the Spirit, which is faithfulness. So, what does faithfulness mean? Well, it, there are many different types of faithfulness, aren't there? There is a faithful servant, or being faithful in a marriage, being faithful to a promise, or a faithful reproduction of something. When I draft contracts for a book to be published in another language, the contract always includes a clause saying that the translation must be, faith, the translation must be made faithfully and accurately. So we know that the translated book will say the same thing as the author wrote. All of these uses of the word imply staying true to something, don't they? Whether that's an author's work or a person, not deviating from that one commitment or promise. We can trust the commitment that's made in a relationship or in a contract or a belief. When we know that someone is faithful, we can have faith in what they do, in their behaviour. So when I receive those translated copies from the foreign publisher, I can have faith that they do actually contain what the author wrote, because the publisher promised to make a faithful translation, and the contract signed between us gives me faith in that promise. Hebrews chapter 11 that, uh, that Bill read contains a famous definition of faith in verse 1. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we can't see. So I can't see the faithfulness of the translated books because I can't speak the language, but I hope for it. And because I have the contract, I'm certain that it is faithful. God's given us a hope the hope of his kingdom and our place in it. And we can be sure of that hope. He's made a commitment to us and we can trust that. We can be certain of him even though we can't see him. We can have faith in God because he is faithful. It's just like in a relationship. We have to trust our partner's faithfulness to us even when we can't see them. Otherwise, we'd either never let them out of our sight or we'd be riddled with jealousy the whole time. No, we know our partner, and we know that they're committed to us. And if they're married, then they've made a vow. So we have faith in them because we know them and because of that vow. The faith in God is the same. God has made a commitment to us. And because of that promise, that covenant, we can have faith in him. The Bible shows us over and over again the unchanging faithfulness of God and that gives us faith in his faithfulness to us. When Galatians chapter 5 talks about faithfulness as being part of the fruit of the Spirit, that's what it means. The Holy Spirit in us increases our faith in God and in his promises. And as our faith in him grows so does our faithfulness to him. We become more like Jesus, the original faithful one. Just as the translated book is a faithful representation of the original, 
So we are called to be a faithful representation of Jesus. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit, making us gradually into a more faithful likeness of Jesus, like a faithful translation or a faithful reproduction of a work of art. We become a more faithful image of God. So what does it mean to be faithful? Well, one aspect of faithfulness is obedience, not slavish obedience, which is forced on someone, so there's no choice. It's faithful obedience, which is obedience given willingly as an act of love. And of course, the supreme example of that is Jesus, his faithfulness to his Father. He was happy to submit everything to God, even putting his life in God's hands because of the great love that they shared. God wants us to submit our life to him too, in faithful obedience. And when we do, our life will have a much greater significance because our acts of faith actually mean something beyond what we do now. So let's look at how that works from the book of Hebrews. Chapter 11 gives lots of examples of people who acted out of faith. And if we look at the things that they did, we can see that each one conveyed something beyond what they knew. Verse 4 mentions Abel, Adam and Eve's younger son. His animal sacrifice was pleasing to God. Because of that act of faith, he introduced the concept of a life given in sacrifice to make us right with God. His act of faith tells us something about God's plan for the world. Verse 5 mentions Enoch, a faithful man who did not experience death but was taken straight to be with God because of his faithfulness. God chose him to give us the idea of eternal life with God, that we don't experience death, we go straight to be with God after our natural death. In verse 7, Noah builds an ark, not because he could see the floods rising, but because he trusted God's word and his saving plan. That act of faith demonstrated the idea of God's rescue through a particular family, which ultimately became God's big family, which we belong to. And this morning we had two small children baptised into that family, that same family that God rescued on the ark. In verse 8, it was Abraham's faith in God that led him to the area that would eventually become the promised land, the home of God's family, the Jews. By undertaking that journey through faith, Abraham laid the foundation of a physical homeland for the children of Israel and a spiritual home for God's people in his kingdom. So you see how these faithful acts contribute to God's plan and actually help to advance his kingdom. Even when God asked Abraham to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, Abraham acted in faith, putting his son into God's hands. But at the last minute, God provided a ram to take his place. I don't know whether Abraham or Isaac ever understood that excruciating act of faith, but we know now that it was God showing us more of his plan, that a sacrifice is required 
but that God himself will provide it through his only son, carrying his cross, like Isaac carried those sticks. God revealed more of his plan when Isaac was saved from death by the ram caught in the thorns, just as we're saved by Jesus wearing his crown of thorns. In Hebrews 11, we see Moses keeping the first Passover, a sacrificial lamb, and its blood sprinkled on the doorpost. That's what saved each house from the angel of death as he passed over. That act of faith, sprinkling the blood on the doorpost, was another demonstration of how a sacrificial death can bring salvation to them and one day to us. Straight after that, Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt and eventually they found freedom in the promised land, the same land that Abraham travelled to hundreds of years before. And we ourselves have our own promised land, which is God's kingdom, in the future, unseen. But following Moses' example, we can have faith that it's there and we're on the way to it. What Hebrews 11 shows us is that when each of these heroes of faith acted out of faith, it made a difference to the working out of God's eternal plan. Their acts of faith played a part in bringing it about. And it's the same for us. When we obey God out of faith, in his will and faith in his love, we also convey something beyond the here and now. We give a glimpse of God's kingdom, of what it will be like when the world is filled with faithfulness and everything is in harmony as a result. But more than that, our acts of faith actually make a difference, putting another building brick into the foundations of that kingdom, actually building it here. And that's our role as a church too, to build God's kingdom by acting out of faith in God's love not out of our own rules and regulations. Earlier in Galatians, Paul tells them off for setting up obstacles for people wanting to join the church. In the reading that we heard from chapter 3, they were trying to exclude certain people. No, faith, he said, is the only requirement. We're not to make other conditions for allowing people into the church, to allowing people to worship God. We're not to make other conditions for anybody. In Paul's day, it was circumcision. Some church members were demanding that new Christians get circumcised in line with the old covenant. To join the church, people had to become more like the Jews. But this denied God's new covenant and Jesus' death, which is for everyone. As Galatians 3 verse 8 put it, all nations will be blessed through you. That's not just the white countries or the countries with democratic governments or the nations who we want as allies. No, it means everyone, whether they're nice and salubrious or not. Are we guilty of the same thing? Are we subconsciously saying that people need to be more like us to join our church? Are there people who we're excluding either deliberately or unintentionally? That's one reason that we had the new entrance built at the front of the church. Before that, there were two steps 
And, there was a, and that was a real obstacle to people coming in, whether they were in a baby buggy or a wheelchair or using a walking stick. Getting rid of it and having a slope instead is only a small thing, but it's not just practical, it's symbolic as well, that church welcomes everybody. Are there other ways that we're thoughtlessly excluding people? Human beings being what we are, we need to be constantly examining ourselves for that. But it's not just about coming to church. Faithfulness and being a faithful image of Jesus is also about inclusion in society as a whole. There's been a lot of discussion recently about how we can be more inclusive of transgender people. In sports, there's debate over whether it's fair for transgender women to compete, against natu- compete with natural-born cis women. And when it comes to toilets and changing rooms, should they be allowed to use the same ones? As Christians, how do we respond? Well, according to Paul, there's no barrier whatsoever for anyone to come to church or to come to God, whether they're transgender or not. So it's wrong and tragic when people put barriers up. I think we'd all agree on that, but our faithfulness to God's plan must go beyond that. That's our starting point for our general attitude. How can we exclude people from society who we know that God has accepted? That would not be a faithful thing to do. We'd be showing a lack of faith in God's faithfulness to his people. Because God's love is for all people without exception, our first principle in any situation is the inclusion of all people without exception in all aspects of society. So what follows from that is a responsibility to think compassionately about what it would really look like and to find ways to work it out in practice. And that's something that the world is doing right now. The Olympic Committee and other sports bodies too are wrestling with the question of the right levels of testosterone in the blood for fair competition, but they haven't found a just outcome. We should pray that they do. Every so often, rows about the sanctity of the single-sex loo or changing room emerge. We haven't yet found the right answer. In the meantime, people at all stages on the transgender journey are left vulnerable and hurt. Can you join the debate, maybe on social media? Is there anything you can do at your workplace or with your neighbours or your friends or your family? As Christians, we can inject an attitude of love and acceptance into the discussion. And from that starting point, we can influence the tone of the debate. We can subtly change people's attitudes and join in the work to find practical ways to make inclusion a reality for those who feel excluded. Galatians tells us that inclusiveness takes faith, faith in that other person and in God's love for them, each and every one and their loved and cherished status before God, whether they're trans, gay, married, or whatever. Jesus says, come as you are. No need to be something you're not. 
And our duty as Christians is to work out how we need to change in order to make them welcome in all parts of society. I've used transgender people as an example because there's a lot of harsh debate about their rights at the moment. But of course the same principles apply to anyone in danger of being marginalised by society, but saddest of all, by the church. Paul links faith with inclusiveness and it breaks his heart to see people who claim to be faithful shutting people out. We have a responsibility to live out our faith in the same way as Paul is asking of the Galatians. And when we do that, we make a bit more of God's kingdom become a reality. People sometimes wonder why God is taking such a long time to come back and establish his kingdom here on earth. But when we realise our part in bringing it about, it's easier to understand. The less faithful we are, in building his kingdom here, the longer it's going to take to come. So let's allow the Holy Spirit to do his work and bring out his fruit in our lives. An apple tree needs pruning if it's to bear its best fruit. In the same way, we need to prune off our old habits and cultivate new ones. Habits that faithfully demonstrate God's inclusive love Paul calls it keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. And that way, we can give a faithful representation of Jesus. And we can build a bit more of his kingdom with our own lives. And then, with the help of the Holy Spirit and his fruit, we'll be a hero of faith too. <laughs>